Here on Business and Bubble Tea, we have with us Vishal Kiwal Romani, the founder of Ocean Fintech and CEO of the Vulcan Group. Vishal, it's great to have you on the podcast with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Welcome to our podcast and thanks for joining us today. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your background and about Ocean Fintech? Sure, sure. So my background is pretty simple. Um, we're a single family office between New York, London, Singapore, Hong Kong, a serial entrepreneur, built and sold four businesses. So as you can see, old and ugly, been around the block a few times. Um, not got so, the scars not so. to prove it. <laughs> uh, you're very kind. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that's my background is private equity, fashion, real estate. So uh, the last company I had was a model agency back in London. We used to provide the models for all the fashion weeks around the world. Um, I did the exit, moved out of Singapore, set up the family office uh, between Singapore and Hong Kong. And I travel quite a bit. Ocean Fintech is uh, one of our portfolio companies. We're spinning out of the family office, digitizing the fashion supply chain. Um, and yeah, quite excited about that. So what else, what, what else can I tell you? And I guess, what was that first step that led you onto that entrepreneurial journey when you founded your first company? Well, <clears throat> I had a problem with authority, so I have, I have issues. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm inherently unemployable, <laughs> right? So, um, especially now, it's like a disease. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to employ me, so I have to do my own thing. Um, but no, it's, it's just about controlling the narrative, uh, really. And um, when you have your own business, it's sort of like, you know what they say, right? The entrepreneur is the only guy who will work for 80 hours a week to avoid working 40. So yep. that's sort of me in a nutshell. Yeah. Or, or I guess some staring into the abyss whilst eating glass or something like that. At least that's what I've heard. Mm. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And and I guess um, in, in, in terms of ocean fintech, what's the kind of main key objective of that? of that business? Well, that's sort of the, the idea came about just by accident. So it's all about helping small businesses and founders and entrepreneurs with growth capital that they need. Um, so we basically finance the, the cross border supply chain, starting with fashion, but then we're going on to consumer goods and all sorts of stuff. Um, the idea was sort of level the playing field. So if you're a small business in Miami, importing children's toys from Vietnam, you know, Nobody will help you. Yeah. Um, it's a different and, story if you're General Motors and you want to fund your $5 billion supply chain. The banks will do that. And I, I guess what, what kind of crucially differentiates um, Ocean Fintech from, say, another kind of financing sort of arm? Or... Well, it's, it's structured differently because we're not really a lender. We're a trading partner. So we want to be the world's trading partner. Um, we're really, really different. It's just easy to use. It's smart capital. It's growth capital. You can switch it on and off as you need it. You know, we don't have opening fees, closing fees, admin fees, you know, non-utilization fees, all these other things that come with banks. So it's really, really different. What about um, the Vulcan Group instead? Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the family office we actually spun out of. So uh, there we do direct investments in other families, LPs, GPs. Uh, we, on an opportunistic basis, we do a lot of venture debt, direct equity. Uh, we do VC fund allocations once or twice a year when we have liquidity events. Once we get to know the relation, the GPs, we build a relationship with them. You know, either they've co-invested co together. I guess in, 
And I, I guess in the current context, where do you see um, things at the moment in terms of the venture capital environment? I mean, we're seeing a lot play out on the public markets. Yeah, yeah. I think the VC markets are correlated, but they're private. So, you know, as long as you have a fundamental good business, you can always raise capital from investors, right? So I think over time, the winners will be the ones that can have sustainable business models that are actually making a difference and solving a problem. They'll always find a way to raise capital and grow. Um, and you have to be agile so you can cut your burn rate and extend your runway and survive. So we've been through the cycle a few times. And, and I guess what are the kind of telling signs of an investment worthy entrepreneur and company? Ooh, the telling signs of an investment worthy entrepreneur and company. Well, yeah. you know, if I put my investor <laughs> hat on, it's, it's, it's a loaded question, right? So we look at, if I put my investment hat on the guys that I would want to invest in the founders are guys that a have integrity, right? So they're always yep. up front, a lot of transparency. Um, they talk, they communicate with their investors. Uh, yeah. And then the rest of it, I, I look at the business model and we do a lot of impact investing. So I love businesses which have a fundamentally good code written into their DNA. So that is something that I think is long overdue. That's what we look for as investors, but um, you know, each to his own. Yeah. And, and I guess looking specifically at the impact, um, is there a particular cause that um, that you're more focused on or um, like kind of you, you silo yourself towards or are you kind of very uh, inclusive of everything that you look at that has to have an impact behind it? Yes, impact investing has many angles, right? So you can, so for us, what's close to our hearts is helping small businesses. So minority founders, women-led businesses, that is offering them growth capital at a better rate than everybody else because they need a, the extra help. Uh, there's not much capital available to them. And then the second is the, the supply chain in the fashion industry is terrible, right? So fashion is like the second most polluting industry in the world after coal and oil. So making the supply chain more efficient, buying in bulk, like I'll give you an example. A small business uh, is forced to buy small quantities because they don't have the cash. And then they have to fly it by air instead of sea because by air it takes 10 days, by sea it takes two months. So giving them the cash they need, they can buy in bulk, get the prices down, and they can ship it by ocean. Uh, no pun intended, that's the FinTech's name. <laughs> but, um, uh, and they can save uh, the planet because the carbon emissions are way lower. So you're, you're achieving a couple of things at the same time. So that's really interesting for us. And how did you come up with the um, the choice of the industry? So mainly um, fashion, if I'm not mistaken. And why the decision to support uh, specifically like small medium uh, enterprises and, for example, as you mentioned, women um, led companies? Well, the fashion industry because I understand fashion. I, I know that business. I've been around for like the last twenty years. Um, the margins are great. They have a huge inventory problem. They have a huge supply chain issue. Why small businesses? I mean, yeah, if you're a small business in Birmingham, importing furniture from China, you can't buy on credit. But if you're a big company like Tesco or Sainsbury's or Walmart, you can actually buy from the factory directly on 30, 60, 90 days open credit. So it's ironic. The big guys who have access to capital 
get better payment terms than the, than the little guys who don't have access to capital. So I, th- I found that really unfair. So I, I like batting for the for the underdog. So if I can have yeah. to level the playing field, that, that's that's awesome. And and we're seeing, I guess, quite difficult times supposedly for you know, looking at the rents that um, retail has to pay at the moment and everything going online. How do you think that's going to play out in the future, or do you think there are different geographies that are worth more opportune than than say, I guess, London, for example? Well, I mean. Lots of things go online, but I think it'll be a hybrid approach because some stuff you just want to go touch it, feel it, squeeze it, you know, stroke it. Yeah. Um, and then you want to buy it, right? Especially the higher value items so like jewelry. Uh, I yep. don't know anybody that buys fine diamond watch or Rolex or jewelry without actually going and trying it on or seeing it in the flesh. So I think certain categories are easier translatable into online. Some of them will be a hybrid. So like, for example, you'll go into a store, you'll buy something the first time. And the second time you want to repeat that purchase, you want to buy something a different color, a different uh, size that you can do online. So I think people will get more comfortable with that. As far as markets go, we we don't really care. The whole world is the same. And and we um we actually interviewed a company called uh, Natural Grace, and they're uh, they're doing Mm -hmm. they're using ocean plastics to make um, active wear for uh, Mm -hmm. women. And I was wondering how much um, have you have you invested in any companies like that? And um, do you, I, I just wonder, do the margins get affected um, by this sort of social impact mandate that they also have? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's naturally a little bit more expensive to produce, but then you're talking to a different audience because your, your sale price is a bit higher as well. So I'm not taking any names, but we did invest in. So the circular economy is really, really interesting for us as well. Another yeah. way to make an impact. So those are the angles that we look at. So we were looking at investing in a company in the U.S. They do used backpacks from Vietnam. I love those guys. Very um, cool. Yeah. Um, there was another company we just invested in the Middle East. Uh, they do diapers made from bamboo, uh, you know. Um, and we, we, we like the circular economy in mobile phones. A lot of those phones end up in the landfill. So we buy them, refurbish them, um, sell them online in a different market. So all of these and, things combined, they make a big, they make a difference. And, and I guess turning more towards, um, the kind of learning from, from investments, um, have there been any opportunities you wish you'd taken or any, I guess, mistakes is probably a bit too strong of a word, but I guess missed opportunities that you'd wish oh, you'd yeah. taken. I, and, and I could write a book on that. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, 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 the ones that got away <laughs> more like the millions that got away I'm pretty sure there's a song about that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> no I don't I don't think about it too much um, the next opportunity is around the corner so but I, but I do uh, regret not having backed a couple of entrepreneurs that I should have that didn't go through not for any reason but I always I'm quick to pull the trigger so um uh, yeah, I and think on, living in the past isn't there's no point. And on the other hand, looking at the future, um, which opportunity do you see for ocean fintech? Where do you see it going? Well, um, well, I, I think we're, we're scaling fast. We're growing three, four hundred percent a year. Uh, we have more purchase orders than we have cash, which is a good thing to have. Uh, it's a good problem to have. We're just closing out a seed round. You know, we'll open up the Series A next year. So no, we're, we have a great business. Um, 
it's not it's nothing new. We're just taking an old school business and we're digitizing the global supply chain. Uh, so if we can get to a couple of hundred million revenue, you know, that's just a proof of concept for me because that's like a four or five trillion dollar industry. So then it becomes a different story whether we do secondaries or we swing for the fences or we do an IPO. Have there been any, I guess, key learnings on the way to launching Ocean Fintech? I've actually been pleasantly surprised by um, women-led businesses, founders. They're so disciplined. They pay their bills on time, never had an issue. I made money. I invested in a grandmother in Miami selling bedsheets and pillow covers. That was one of my first Amazing. couple of deals. <laughs> yeah, I love that story. Awesome, awesome, <laughs> awesome. Really well done. So, yeah, if, if – if we can come up with a structured program and also we're looking at like B Corp certified companies that are in the circular economy, giving them access to preferential rates. Um, that's something also we would like to do. Um, that's really cool. And I guess um, looking more towards future investment opportunities and I guess it's getting quite turbulent um, on the public markets. Do you see that being still being a continued flow of opportunities for investments, uh, particularly for kind of, I guess, impact investing? Well, you're talking about investing in public equities? Oh, private, private, private. Private. I mean, so the, yeah. so the private markets, I mean, if access to capital dries up, that just means our demand goes up. I'm selling the oldest thing in the world. I'm selling money. So, you know, yep. it's, not, it's not a hard product to sell. So unless money goes out of fashion next year, you know, I'll still be a business. Um, but I, I think that there will be opportunities. The rising interest rates go up, you know, suddenly I don't look so expensive anymore. Um, but yeah. And, and I guess what key qualities do you notice that make the most successful founders? Ooh, that's easy. Persistence. Um, persistence. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, persistence. That's it. <laughs> you got, and, and being able to adapt and learn. Right? I mean, you can't do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. So you, you make a mistake, you learn, you adapt. So there's a saying, right? You and go fail, fail fast, fail better. Fail better. And I guess, <laughs> you know, in that respect, we always talk about things like a pivot, right? Um, mm -hmm. when, when do you, do you make recommendations to when, um, you, you know, founders may, may want to pivot or in, in terms of how, how you support your portfolio companies? Yeah. So, you know, I always tell the founders, you know, listen to your customers. Uh, so nobody else is paying the bills. So it's, yep. uh, <laughs> you can keep, you can keep going out and raising money. Uh, I, I like what, I like what Mark Cuban said, right? There's no, his, there's no business in the history of business that has ever survived without customers. So yeah, uh, that's what Jeff made <laughs> Very true. as well, right? So, <laughs> so the obsession with the customer, and that's really it. If your if your customer loves you and sings your praises and brings you and tell them, that's it. That's really what you need. So listen to them. Um, the market will speak to you. And I guess we've got and time for one final question. And I'll go for it, Roberta. Which, <laughs> uh, which, um, what advice would you give to any graduates, um, like from your experience uh, as a founder yourself, um, to graduates that wants to to create their own company and maybe in this um, like investment field, so venture capital or like investment related companies. Like a, like an actual startup founder. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Well, I mean, like uh, start the, the, sim- the simplest advice is, you know, make it, sell it, make it, sell it. There are only two rules. So <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing else to do in life. That's it. I mean, then you can go and raise capital, but once you have proof of concept, people spend a lot of time perfecting the model and, you know, and there's no revenue. So I never understood that. I'm not a VC guy. I'm a private equity guy. I'm, call me old school, but I, I like to make money. So I'm a businessman, right? So. I think you, you're looking at the founder, return, the rates of return and that sort of thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Bootstrap. Yeah, exactly. Bootstrap. Like, <laughs> I, I was looking at investing in a, you know, you know, I'm not going to take any names, but I was looking at investing in a girl in New York and doing a lingerie business raised $17 million doing 2 million revenue. Wow. And then I was speaking to another couple in the UK doing adult toys online, raised a 600,000 600, seed round. And doing that's a fun one <laughs> right so but but five million pounds with just six hundred thousand raised and a great great couple and so who am i going to back right which founders am i going to back the guys that are bootstrapped and if you give those guys 17 million they'll really do some damage right so right i see i see what you're saying so it's like efficiency i guess of usage of capital right yeah, being scrappy. Being a founder means you've got to be scrappy. Oh. <laughs> being scrappy. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that's it. Make it, sell it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Vishal, uh, that's all we've got time for today, but thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.